Welcome to Red, White, and Brown, a podcast that discusses the interesting upbringing of first-generation Desi Americans. I'm Prerak. And I'm Sophia. So today, Sophia, we're going to be talking about a very important topic within the Desi community, one that has been overlooked thoroughly in the past, but has recently started gaining a lot more popularity, primarily because it's been related to what's been going on in our society. And particularly today, we're going to be talking about the topic of mental health. So mental health is defined as a person's uh, person's condition with regards to their psychological and emotional well-being. And specifically, as medical students, Sophia, we we can often group mental health disorders into conditions like depression and anxiety. And while these conditions are immensely serious and way, way, way more common than any of us like to think, especially in Desi culture, they're not talked about nearly enough. So today, I wanted to talk about that. What about you? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think we have something really special today. Uh, It's the first time we're going to have a guest feature on our podcast. And in the last 15 minutes of this episode, we have an interview with Vasavi Kumar, who is someone who has personally struggled with addiction and mental health. And she is also a licensed therapist. So she's going to share her journey with us. Um, So to leave time for that, Priyak and I will start a brief discussion on mental health in the Desi community. Uh, We'll discuss its relevance with the particular events that have occurred recently, uh, such as the death of Sushant Singh Rajput. Oh yeah, that one was a big one. mm -hmm, Yeah, and then we'll discuss how um, we can increase discussion around mental health. And of course, we will end the episode with our interview with Vasavi, which I'm sure will be very insightful. I think hearing from someone who's gone through some of these problems firsthand is going to be truly enlightening. So I'm really excited and I can't think of a better way to really start this discussion than to talk about a meme because I feel like South Asians and mental health is the perfect meme issue. Uh, so Sophia, I have a meme I pulled up. Can you like read it? Because I have it pulled up in front of us. So read it, but I'll also link it in the show notes. Sounds good. So this is like, I think someone tweeted this because it's pretty short, but it's For Indians, mental health is like Fight Club. We don't talk about it. (laughs) That's exactly it. And I love this meme because it's the perfect transition into our conversation today, which is mental health within the Indian community, Pakistani community, South Asian community, which is that we never talk about it. I personally didn't even know the importance of mental health until I myself found myself being anxious or being... Uh, you know, out of my mind, really, really, really struggling to cope with everything that was going on in my life. And I didn't know that this was an actual medical condition that people struggle with. I just assumed Until like med school. Yeah, until like med school. And I just assumed like, oh, maybe this is just baseline life. Like life's hard, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I feel like it was never brought brought up to me. And I personally never knew. Um, So Sophia, what about you? Like, why do you think like, we as a Desi community don't talk about this stuff. Like, why did it take me having to go through anxiety myself to learn about, oh, shit, this is a real thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally believe that, in general, as societies become more resource-rich, resource it becomes easier to focus on mental health. Oh, like, interesting hypothesis. I like it. Yeah, like, I just think when you're worried about basic necessities of life focusing on anxiety is just less of a priority and it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's like the first things we have to worry about are food, shelter, um, just basic security. And I think focusing on mental health comes after that. Um, And I think like our generation is probably the first 
to really have the luxury to talk about mental health and actually give it time and space. That's a solid point. I totally yeah. agree with you. Especially that too in America, right? Because it exactly. may not necessarily be the same in South Asia. Exactly, exactly. Like I think when you're here as an immigrant trying to learn English, trying to make money and like send money back home, um, you really can't be focusing on like, oh, hey, my baseline level of anxiety is pretty high. Maybe I should go to therapy. Well, because I right? feel like at that point, you're just anxious all the time. So you yeah. don't even really notice that you're like, this is not not healthy because you're just exactly. consistently worried. As opposed to someone who has anxiety on and off, you actually can delineate between like, oh, this is not normally how I feel when I feel good. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that applies not just to immigrants, but even like think farmers in rural India, it's the baseline level of anxiety that people have is probably so high. You're worrying about the harvest. Like the, you know, the harvest season is just like much more stressful. Probably it's so busy. And then like after you sell your crops, like you have money, but then six months, exactly. Six months later, that money is like dwindling down and your level of anxiety is higher. So I just think that, um, it depends on kind of your context. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, once you have your basic needs met, then I think we start to unearth all of these mental health, um, challenges. And I think they see people do not necessarily view mental health the same as any other health condition like diabetes. Yeah. Like they're not viewing it as pathology, you know, as it just seems like something more abstract, like that you can just fix by shifting your mindset, which is not really true. And we've learned that through medicine, that, Exactly. that when you have these mental conditions, there is something physically Wrong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like mental health conditions need to be viewed as a medical condition, just like anything else, but people don't view it that way. So it doesn't get treated with the same seriousness that another medical condition might. Absolutely. I think your point is well taken, right? Uh, if we actually realize that your baseline need not always be anxious, which I think for a lot of people in the subcontinent, it is always. And mm-hmm. so it's tough for them to realize like, oh, this is not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But when you get to that point, yeah, I think that's when you really do need to recognize that like, mental health is important and we need to address it. Um, so I, I personally have a lot of my family in India and I, and as we just discussed, I personally don't know many of them who ever even knew like, oh, depression is a, is a medical condition mm-hmm. or anxiety is a medical condition. Um, and most of them have probably never seen a therapist. And I know many of my family here now definitely has seen therapists in, in America. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show that, that dichotomy. Um, but I feel like this is also best exhibited through Bollywood, like the Indian slash South Asian perspective on mental health. There's a lot of great Bollywood scenes. Didn't yeah. you have one that you wanted to share with yeah. us? I actually think there's a few movies that do a good job of at least bringing the discussion of mental health and suicide to light. So I think Three Idiots and Chichore are two movies that do a good job. Three Idiots actually has two suicides in the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide attempts. Suicide attempts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They are both. Um, they're both not completed. Yeah. But they, you know, the movies discuss it. And one of the songs in Three Idiots is about suicide. It's Jan Nahi Denge, which is. Um, pretty popular song. And, and it so, means I won't let you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because the suicide was not completed. Yeah. Um, and then Chichora is a movie where the entire plot line is basically about a teenager's suicide attempt. Okay. And it is through that experience that the parents talk about their college experience. Um, so I want to play a clip from Chichora right now. Yeah, let's do that. Don't worry, guys. Because everything will be fine. 
पर बात यहां तक पहुंचनी ही नहीं चाहिए थी तो मेरी वजह से तू तो बहुत कूल लाड है So I just want to mention one thing, which is that I love that these movies bring up the topic of depression and suicide. But I really don't like the fact that the resolution of these topics isn't like, oh, this is a medical condition. Now the character is going to try medication and be signed up for therapy sessions. No, the resolution in these movies is like the parents or the friends tell the character, hey, don't worry, your life is more important than getting into XYZ college. Or getting and a top grade, yeah. Exactly. And, like, there are these emotional scenes in the films where, you know, suicide is discussed, but the resolution is really not realistic because someone is not going to just stop being depressed because you tell them not to be. That's, that's, that's not how this works. That's, I totally think that's such a good point because, again, this is getting the discussion started, but in a way that's almost reinforcing the very reason the discussions are not happening in the first place. Exactly. You're saying like, oh, why are you depressed? Like, don't worry. You don't have to care about what college you go to. When in reality, it's like, that's not the point. The point is like, this is an actual medical condition that you mm-hmm. need to address before you can solve the problem. Exactly. So exactly. I actually thought that was a really powerful scene. I actually hadn't seen Chichore, but I have seen Three Idiots. But one thing that might be very important for viewers to know is the person who was actually talking in that scene uh, was actually the actor Shushant, Shushant Singh Rajput. So uh, we'll call him SSR. Um, he unfortunately actually ended up committing suicide this year. Um, so it's just an interesting twist of fate that he was talking about it and then he ended up um, doing the very thing that he was talking about. And so I know there's an ongoing investigation with with his suicide, and that's definitely a big, big controversial topic that we don't Mm want to entirely hit on. But we do want to talk about the fact that Sushant Singh Rajput was definitely struggling with depression. And so whether or not this was a suicide or not, we do know he had an underlying mental health condition. And we also know that this, this mental health condition is not unique entirely to him. Like, this is a pretty common thing that happens in Bollywood, right, right, Sophia? Yeah, I think um, I would say we don't know for sure whether or not uh, Sushant Singh Rajput was struggling with depression or anxiety or what exactly his 
uh, situation was, but there's a ton of discussion about the topic. Like, he may or may not have been depressed, and um, that's, you know, he's not the only one, right? I think in the last five or ten years, Bollywood in general has discussed mental health a bit more, and Deepika Padukone being kind of, like, the most prominent example, I think. Like, she's been very open about this. Deepika, I like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She has been open about this. She's discussed, like, her mental health struggles, and she started her nonprofit, Live, Laugh, Love Foundation, and, like, there's just been a lot more discussion in Bollywood in general. And since I think the whole of India reveres Bollywood, it's great that these actors and actresses are at least talking about these topics because it makes it less taboo for everyone else to talk about. Yeah. And based on all of this, it's very evident we need to be talking about this because it's happening and it's happening in in the Asian subcontinent, specifically in South Asia. So how can you think, how do you think, Sophia, we can normalize this discussion? Mm, Well, I think... For me personally, every time there is an opportunity to discuss mental health with, you know, parents or family or just older people more so. That's right. Those are the those the, are the toughest critics. Yeah, those are the ones who need to like we need to discuss these topics with because I think our generation feels, you know, that these topics are not taboo. Yeah. Um or not as much, at least. But I think with the older generation, whenever there's like something that comes up in the news about mental health, I always just say, you know, oh yeah, like it's super common. A lot of people struggle with depression, or you know, something like yeah, like that person really should have seen a therapist, gotten on medication. Like this is not abnormal, you know. Yeah. Like so many people see a therapist, it's not a big deal. You need to normalize it. Exactly. Or just like I will say things like. Yeah, like, depression is a medical condition just like anything else. Um, Like diabetes. Exactly. Like any sort of genetic condition, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, like, making it seem not as shameful. And, like, I think with brown parents, it's not going to be enough to just tell them once that, oh, depression is common, right? Like, just because you say it once, they're not going to all of a sudden be like, oh, yep, like, totally normal, like, no stigma. Yeah. It's just... (laughs) You have changed my mind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, these things... Like, you probably have to say it 20, 30 times, and when it comes up in different contexts, like, when it comes up in the news, you have to kind of say it every time, and then after a while, they will start to believe, like, oh, yeah, like, this is pretty common, actually. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make progress with them, which we've talked about. Brown Parents is its own episode, which we've been <laughs> on on season one, which you guys should check out. But to reiterate what Sophia's saying, this is a medical condition, as, as and as medical students, we see a lot of this. Uh, mm-hmm. There's almost everyone who has been through any sort of big hardship in their life goes through struggles with mental health. And there's an entire branch of psychology actually focused on this because so much of the human experience is focused on trying to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the crazy thing is that we're both at Yale right now, and there is actually a professor at Yale named Dr. Lori Santos who actually studies entirely the psychology of happiness. And she's phenomenal. She's probably one of the biggest leaders in this domain. Mm -hmm. And she actually has her own podcast, which I highly recommend everyone check out. It's it's called the happiness lab. So it actually discusses how mental health is not like a given. Mental health is something that you need to work and practice on day in and day out to really make sure that you're you're cultivating it. Because mm-hmm. as I said, it's not a given. And Dr. Santos in this podcast actually even mentions that many of the things we conflate with happiness are not actually things that cause us to be happy. Like, for example, I know a lot of people who might struggle with mental health. Like, they may be sad or they may be anxious. And they may think, oh, I'm anxious and I'm depressed because I don't have enough money. 
When in reality, a lot of these things are actually not true. So believe it or not, you don't need that much money to be happy. Uh, I think the the number magic number is around sixty to seventy thousand, and after that, more money doesn't solve your problem. More money won't help you not be depressed. Mm-hmm. Just like how you saw Deepika Padukone, she I'm sure makes more than seventy thousand dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, just a little more. <laughs> yep. But she's still depressed, and so as you'll see, depression and mental health don't stay constricted to these boundaries that we as a society have defined as what true happiness is, whether mm-hmm. that's being beautiful or, or making $100,000 a year or like having, you know, like everything in your life that you ever wanted materialistically, all of these things that we have a society have been taught doesn't necessarily make us happy. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's the exact reason that the way this topic is discussed in movies and TV is not accurate, right? Yeah. The moral of the story in movies is like, oh, don't put so much pressure on yourself. And it portrays it as if the reason for people's mental health struggles is an external pressure, that it's always something else. Like they're facing an academic pressure. They're facing financial hardship. But in reality, even people who do not have financial stressors can struggle with mental health. And it's not always something external that is causing the problem. Like this is just a medical condition that some people have, unfortunately. Um, And that is just how it, I think, it needs to be viewed because a lot of people who are financially secure, a lot of people who are married, have great children, they still struggle with mental health. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the biggest point. Like no one is immune from this. No exactly. one. Like Bill Gates, richest man on the planet, not immu- not not that he has anything, but he's not immune from it. Right? Exactly. Like everything that we've t- been taught, you know, like, you know, our parents are always like, get a job, get money, get married, all of these things that we kind of conflate with like, you'll be happy once you accomplish this. Not necessarily, right? So exactly. Don't, don't 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 get naive and assume that that's going to be the case. Exactly. Um, but I think this is the perfect transition because as much as we can talk about this, I think it's much more meaningful to listen from someone who's been through this experience. And so we want to introduce Vasavi, who is our guest speaker. So Vasavi Kumar is actually, she's an international public speaker, licensed therapist, mindset coach, and, and business strategist. She actually has a podcast as well. So her podcast is called Being Human with Vasavi. She's beyond awesome. And I think she's personally had a lot of struggles with addiction and also with mental health. And so she's used her personal experience to help many of her therapy clients. And um, it just seems like she's the perfect person to provide some insights. So let's transition to that conversation right now, Sophia, because I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Vasavi. Hey, Sophia, thank you so much for having me here. Hi, Vasavi. Nice to meet you. I know you two have met before, but we haven't. <laughs> yes, no, I, I haven't officially met either of you, but I feel like, you know, we're all brown, so we all, you know, in some shape or form know each other, right? Like, <laughs> know each other. Isn't that thing? Like, I feel like we're always like seven, degree, uh, seven degrees of separation. <laughs> That's exactly right. But we are so excited to have you on today. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, can you give us and our audience a really quick two-minute overview of your story, your background, and your experiences with mental health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will try to do that in two minutes, but I will say that being a first-generation Indian immigrant, uh, my parents came to the you know U.S. in the '70s. I was born and raised in New York. I lived pretty much a very you know uh, traditional you know South Indian Brahmin. Uh, household, very conservative, uh, very traditional. Um, and I think with that, when and I think with a lot of us Indians, with the expectations that are placed upon us, 
Um, I, I don't know. I'm just a different type of seed, I guess. I just took many different paths to kind of really um, try to find who I was. And those paths included drugs, alcohol, lot, you know, a lot of different things that I think, um, while one would not say that they are healthy, they did uh, force me to have to really look at myself, like, who am I at the core, right? And um, being the uh, brown girl, right? Like we are, we are raised to, you know, go to Ivy League colleges, do this and do that. And so I, you know, I went to Columbia University. I got my master's in social work. I have a master's in special ed. And I know I was saying this to you, you know, us uh, prior to recording, what I think really, um, if, if I had to really define like who I am to your audience right now, it's like, yes, I'm a licensed therapist. I'm a mindset coach. I've been in business for 10 years and I help women really feel good from the inside out and really create meaningful work in their business. Honestly, what makes me the expert is that I have lived through my own mental health challenges. I am a recovered addict and alcoholic almost a year and a half today as we record this. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky that I, I, you know, I have this professional background, but the thing that really, you know, where I speak from when I talk about mental health, especially in the South Asian community, really does come from firsthand experience, which in my opinion, you know, you can go to school for all the things in the world, but there is nothing like falling on your face multiple times over and over again and having to get yourself back up, you know? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's an incredible story. Uh, and I'm sure we can unpack that a bit more as we transition into the second question, which is, as you were going through these experiences, um, what advice do you now look back on, looking back on your journey, do you have to give to anyone who is in your shoes uh, dealing with mental health, whether they're young or old, but in this case, maybe a little bit uh, younger, right? And, and what resources do you recommend to them? So I want to say this transparently, that I am very grateful because I started going to therapy when I was 12 years old. I was in therapy with my therapist, Virginia, as a little old white lady. And I started going to her when I was 12 years old. And that was me going to my parents and saying to them, I can't talk to you. You don't understand. I need to see a therapist. Those were my actual words. And I'm very grateful. My parents, you know, my mom's a retired cardiologist. My father's a retired CPA. You know, they're, they're just different than a lot of Indian parents. Um, they're very traditional. Don't get me wrong. Like they were not the parents that were, that were like, oh, okay, yeah, go stay out all you know, late at night. No drinking, no, no nothing. Like grew up in a very traditional house. But when I when I said to them, I need someone to talk to, for some reason, they took that seriously. And so I did start seeing a therapist at 12. And I want to say that because I know that's not common in the South Asian community. The number one thing that I would say to anyone listening who is struggling with any sort of, you know, so I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 20. So I just want to say that. <clears throat> and I'm actually going to be a year medication free now as of November. Little disclaimer, if you are on medication, please do not get off medication without talking to your doctor and having a holistic plan to do that. Um, but the number one thing that I would say is listen to yourself. If something feels off and something doesn't feel right, it's probably off and probably isn't right. You know what I mean? And so don't, I mean, there's always going to be an auntie and uncle and mommy and daddy, and everyone's telling us how to live our lives, but you have to listen to yourself first and foremost before anyone. I don't care, like, and, and I am the black sheep in the family, and I will say that, and I have such a good relationship with my parents because they know that what you see is what you get with me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. You know, they don't understand everything, but they've always, they, I mean, they've been through the ringer with me, right, to watch their daughter go up and down through addiction and recovery, but I will say to anyone listening, 
If you're waking up depressed and you're waking up anxious and you're trying to wait for it to go away, but it's not going away, you really got to use that as a, as a, like a, um, as, that's a red flag, right? And you cannot, you cannot, um, no amount of degrees, no marriage, no amount of money in the bank is going to take away your mental and emotional well-being. Like, and that is the thing, being Indian, right? We we are we are pushed to constantly have the house, have the money, have the this. Oh my God, what will auntie and uncle say? You have to get married. You know, I, I think every Indian person knows, you know, but what will people think is 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 the mantra that we live by, right? Like, well, what will people think? And at some point you have to say, I don't give a fuck what people think. I have to care about what I think and what I feel. And so if you feel like something is off within, it probably is. So ask for help. And you know what? You don't need to tell everyone about it. It's your mental health, right? If you're younger, I understand you might be financially um, relying on your parents. So that's that's one situation. Um, and or and if you're younger listening to this, I, I, I would join some free communities, right? I would, I, I would find some mental health communities for South Asians. It doesn't even matter if it's a South Asian mental health community. People are people. Um, but I do think we shared a, we, South Asians share a very common experience. I think we all kind of just know what it's like being Indian. You know, it's, it's not easy. Um, but I would say, do not stop going for, stop trying to get advice from people who have never walked a day in your shoes, get professional help. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the first concrete steps, you would definitely recommend reaching out to whoever, either, either their parents, if they feel like their parents would be supportive or in this case, any sort of community counselor and that they have access to. Absolutely. If you're in high school, go to your counselor, like go to your school counselor. If you are, um, you know, even if you're like scrolling aimlessly on Instagram, I would scroll with attention, find mental health accounts that you like. If there are, if there are therapists out there on, you know, online telehealth services, reach out and actually like book a free session, you know, just like you got to just start talking about it. That's the thing. You cannot intellectualize or spiritualize your pain. You cannot pray away your pain. And while I'm a firm believer in God, and I do believe in God, like we all need somebody to talk to. We need somebody, you know, more often than not, a neutral person that we can talk to who is professionally trained that can let us know you are not crazy for feeling the way that you feel about whatever. If you're a young girl, you know, I know especially a lot of girls in the Indian community have so much pressure to get married at like 24, 25 so they can settle down. No wonder you're depressed. You don't want to get married right? You have your life to live in. And like, now you're wondering why you don't feel good. It's because you're literally being pushed to do something that is not aligned with who you are. And that can lead to suicide. That can lead to very deep depression. That can lead to a disconnection from oneself. And so, yes, talk to someone who has been in your shoes, who's professionally trained and who will actually listen to you rather than, you know, invalidate how you feel. That's perfect. Um, and I say it's perfect because I think it hits home in a lot of different ways, but it also is a perfect segue into the next question because I think you hinted at it. We as Daisy Americans or even the Daisies in general, there's a lot of stigma with mental health and uh, there's always the whole, what is, what is everyone else going to think about this? So your story, how did you deal with that stigma? Cause it seems like you're very re resilient now, but I'm sure it may not have always been that way. How did you deal with that stigma when you actually had to face it? And how do you handle something like that? Well, to be really honest, when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I was 20 years old. I'm now 38. And we were, you know, I'm originally from New York, born and raised. And my mom and I were in the city. We went to go see the psychiatrist, right? 
and we come out of the doctor's office and we're standing on Lexington Avenue, 57th and Lexington. And so I just received the diagnosis that I had bipolar disorder. And the first thing my mother said to me was, don't tell anyone about this. And then that night I did uh, a huge amount of cocaine to deal with the problem. That's how I chose to deal with it on that day. Um, but honestly, uh, Parak, I've always just questioned everything. I've always been like, why? Like, why is this a big deal? Why are we hiding this? Like, I, I, I would say that that is definitely the grace of God that I'm not one to just be like, okay, whatever you say, like I've always questioned everything from a very young age. Um, but I will tell you, uh, yes, I am very resilient. I, I, I have fallen on my face too many times to count, but I've also gotten back up. I, the, the reason why I'm able to be where I am today and just talk so unabashedly and just unfiltered with y'all right now is because I know who I am. That's the thing. When you're told your whole life how you should be and how you shouldn't be and what you need to say and what you need to wear and don't do this, don't do that, you have absolutely no connection with yourself. You're, you're, you're just like a robot at that point, right? You're just wearing all these masks. I've dedicated my entire life to not wearing any masks anymore. And so I would say you got to shut out all the noises in your head. You got to shut out the voices in your head. Like you got to start questioning everything you've ever been taught. Like if you're a young woman listening to this and you know, you, you know, maybe you don't want to have kids. Maybe you and your husband decided that you don't want to have kids, but you have a lot of pressure and you're like, Oh, okay. Maybe I should just have kids. You need to ask yourself, like, why am I putting pressure on myself? Do I actually want to have kids? Like, stop just going with the flow. Like, stop just be like, like just floating along and just doing what people want you to do. Because the more you listen to what everyone else is telling you what to do, the more disconnected you become with yourself. Um, I always say this um, as a recovered addict and alcoholic, the cure for addiction is not sobriety. The cure for addiction is connection right? Because addiction leaves you very, very isolated. And so the only way back to a healthy state and a balanced state is to connect back with yourself. I know in the Indian community, we have this like crazy ass loyalty to our family. And I love my mother and father. I, I mean, they have supported me on so many levels. I can't tell you, but at the end of the day, I'm loyal to myself first and foremost. I will always do what's right for me first. And we are, it's very ingrained in us from a very young age. Like, don't make, you know, daddy upset. Don't make mommy upset. And we're always taught not to make anyone else around us upset at the cost of our own voice. We're trained to be nice and we're trained to just say what people want to say at the cost of us speaking up and speaking our truth. And then, you know, you're in your mid thirties and your forties and you're balding and you're not happy. And you're like, where did my life go? Who am I? Wow. So, yeah. No, so honestly, I mean, honestly, the way I am is because I, you know, and, and I, I want everyone to hear this is like, I was not always that way. You have to remember for, you know, after I got divorced, I had a big fat Indian wedding. I was married to a Gujarati guy. I thought I, I did all the things that I thought I should do. And it's funny, even when I married him and him and I are still close, although we're divorced, I remember thinking like, okay, he's Hindu, he's vegetarian, he prays, okay, he's suitable. Little did I look at his ability to not be able to manage finances, his lack of ambition, his lack of drive. I was just looking at what's good on paper. Like, oh, okay, my parents will like this. I never, I didn't know myself to really know what kind of guy I even wanted. And I just got married because I was 28 and that's what I thought I needed to do. Um, and honestly, after I got divorced and I got into a really bad relationship with a very codependent partner, I was codependent as well and fell into drugs and alcohol. It wasn't, those four years of my life, which were probably the mid, my, you know, which, which were my mid thirties, I strayed so far from myself that um, 
you know, that's, that's really why I've come back home to myself because I was so far removed and I, I went to rehab twice. And like I said, I'm a year and a half sober, but you know, here's the truth of the matter, you guys, and I'm saying this from a professional standpoint and as someone who's walked this path, people don't change unless they feel the pain of it. Most people don't change until they actually feel the pain of needing to change. So I hope everyone listening right now, I don't want you to have to get to your rock bottom to decide that you need to go get help or talk to someone. Don't wait till it gets so bad that it becomes debilitating. Like catch it. You're worth the investment. You're worth the time. That makes total sense. I think um, what you said about not waiting until things get really bad, I, I feel like that that totally hits the nail on the head. Um, and I feel like part of that or related to that is um, having discussions about mental health and like destigmatizing it because so much of getting help is, you know, you kind of have to be able to talk to the people around you, right? Um, in order to even reach out for help. So how do you recommend encouraging the older generation to sort of, you know, be comfortable talking about mental health and not stigmatizing it as much so that people do feel comfortable reaching out and trying to get the help that they need? And in this case, I guess older generation is definitely in regards to, you know, in this case, your parents, my parents, you know, someone who is tangential to us, who may not entirely know what we're going through, but we want to make sure they can at least, you know, hear us out and be comfortable around them. So for any sort of real change to occur, people have to be open and willing to have the conversation. You can't force anyone to change. Oh, trust me, I've tried with all the men that I've been with in my life. You can't make anybody change. So the good news is you have the ability to change yourself. The bad news is you're probably never going to change your parents. However, what you do have control over is how you show up. What you do have control over is you speaking your truth. What you do have control over is you being honest and you being transparent and stop hiding parts of yourself. People can either join you on your journey or not. It's not their, it's not their journey. It's your journey, right? However, I, and I know that sounds cynical, but it's not. It's just I'm very realistic about people and their ability to be open and willing. You have to first understand, for anyone listening, it, your parents not wanting to talk about your mental health has nothing to do with their lack of love for you. Your parents love you very much. I know, I mean, to be, I'll just be really uh, transparent with you. Just the other day, my mom cried to me and she said, I feel so much pain when I think about what you've gone through in your sobriety journey and recovery. She goes, it's so painful for me. I don't even want to think about it. And she said, I feel so guilty that I could have done something differently. So you just have to understand with a little bit of compassion, with a lot of compassion that, you know, your parents not understanding or they, you know, people in your life not understanding has nothing to do with them not loving you. It has to do with they're not tapped into their own emotions. They're not tapped into their own pain. Their capacity to be with their own pain is extremely limited. You cannot expect somebody to be with your pain and your issues if they avoid their own pain and their own issues, right? It's trying to get water from a rock. You would never go to a rock and try to squeeze out water. Stop trying to get empathy and understanding from people that are not empathetic and understanding with themselves. So that is the truth. But you are the change. I, I mean, you can't sit down with your parents and you can't say, I'm going through this right now. I know you, it may be difficult for you to understand, but this is how I'm feeling. But you also have to be very detached to their response. Because what I don't want to happen to you 
is that you sit down all transparent and vulnerable with your parents and then you don't get the response that you want from them. And then you're like, okay, screw it. I'm not gonna go to therapy because they don't understand. They don't need to understand your mental health. You need to understand your mental health. It's your mind, it's your body, it's your spirit. So just because somebody doesn't understand it, do not use that as a reason for you not to get help. Wow, what an incredible answer. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think it's, it's definitely encouraging to know that there are people like you that, of course, people listening can reach out to. Uh, and it's really great to have someone who has lived it to actually talk about it. And I think a lot of what you said definitely is right on, right? We can't change many, many other people, especially not Indian parents, to say the least, right? And all we can do is really change ourselves and hope that we can bring the change that we want to see in, in others. Um, so I think that those are pretty much the big questions that we had for you. I don't know if you had any last parting thoughts, um, if there were anything, if there was anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to, uh, we'd love to hear any, any, anything. Yeah, I feel like the, the pressure that we have as Indians is definitely like, you know, some of the kind of common slogans is like, put on a united front, don't tell anyone what will people think. And I just, I really need everyone listening to this you know, you know, I mean, I, I think about all my cousins and I think about, you know, we're all just trying to keep up with the Joneses. In the Indian community, it's all about who can one up with each other. Like, oh, they got a new BMW. They got a new house. Like, don't try to keep up with the Joneses. You have to see that is all smoke and mirrors. It is all an illusion. It is all an illusion because at the end of the day, and I'm not telling you not to be ambitious. I am not telling you not to want to make a lot of money, but you have to really ask yourself, Ask yourself this, because this actually happened to me. If we stripped away your car, if we stripped away all your fancy clothes, if we stripped away your job, if we stripped away your bank account, would you still feel good about yourself? And that's a part that no one really ever gets to that point, because as Indians, we're working so hard to keep up, you know, keep up everything on the outside. So we look good for everyone on the outside, you know, on the outside, because when we go to parties, people are going to ask, what do you do? Where do you go to college? Right. This is what we're, we're living up to. You got to see past that. And you got to see this is all external. And what matters at the end of the day is if you can, when you go to bed at night and your head touches that pillow, you got to ask yourself, am I happy with myself? Am I truly happy? And if something were to happen and everything that you worked for were taken away, would you still be okay? Because most people would say no, because your validation and your approval is still coming from mom, dad, friends, strangers on the internet, you know, none of that matters. Yes, it matters. You get what I'm saying? Of course it matters, but it doesn't matter as much as how you're doing on the inside. So. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Basavi. Thank you, Sophia. This was, this was the perfect end. And I, I'm sure we'll have you on eventually on another episode one day. And uh, I'm sure everyone listening benefited. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. So that was so awesome. And if you guys want to check out Vasavi, you can visit her website, vasavikumar.com, um, and also check out the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. And all of this is linked in the show notes. Absolutely. And uh, I think that'll about wrap up this episode. So if you enjoyed this and, of course, want us to continue making this podcast, it's only going to be possible if we continue to, you know, use you guys to network and market our, our show. So please continue to share this, rate this show, review it, try to give it five stars and subscribe. Yes, don't be stingy. Five stars only. <laughs> please subscribe and, and rate and um, share with others and, and share, share, share with us on Instagram. We will definitely retweet or restory whatever you tag us in. You guys are 
our marketing department and we need you to share if you want us to keep doing this. So thank you. And, and we'll see you next episode. Bye. Bye.